Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. My name is Sam Webb, and I'm here to share some of the most epic conversations I get to have with some of the most fascinating people on our planet. Every episode is dedicated to elevating the conversation around mental health because it ain't weak to speak. I'm a massive believer that a conversation could change and save a life for the better. Thank you for joining me on this journey. Welcome back onto the podcast, ladies and gentlemen from around the world. I hope all is well. Life is good. As always, I appreciate your time and investment into this podcast as we all do at Living. We're all greatly appreciative of your time spent wherever you are, whether you're commuting to work, taking a walk, run, spending time with the family, just doing a bit of self-work. It's all an investment in my eyes, so I appreciate it and I do really respect it. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. I hope you're coming here for growth. I hope you come here and you found us because you want to learn more about living your best life, how you can break free of certain areas in your life that might be crippling you or holding you back. This is the podcast that we try to empower people from all over the world to live their best life, no matter what path of journey they're on. That's what this is all about. Everyone's very unique. And that's what makes life interesting. So embrace it with both arms. Talk about embracing things with both arms. It's been a huge couple of weeks for the mental health space as a whole, but also for living. We've obviously had Women's Health Week. We've had Mental Health Week, which is always big, shining a light ever so severely on conversations, how to have them, how to save them, how to reach out for support tools, strategies, mental health professionals. It's very busy this time of year. And I respect the work that all organizations are doing from around the globe and Australia and people who are working in the mental health field. My hat's off to you because I know it isn't easy. There's a lot of great wins that we have along the way, but there's also a lot of losses and we have to pay due respect to that. One of the biggest things I want to make mention, it's been 10 years, just over 10 years since we started living And unfortunately, it came from a very tragic circumstance and an event where our friend Dwayne Lally took his own life on September 15 of 2013. So 10 years on from Dwayne's passing, I mean, it feels like yesterday for myself, having a chat with him at his home there on September 15, 2013. It was literally time has gone so fast. But I hope throughout the 10 years and the past 10 years, through Dwayne's legacy and his story and the loss of Dwayne, but also the gain of you know a lot of other people along the way through the work that we've been able to do and achieve at Living, the wider team and the community. Yeah, it's a very important time for us. And you know, obviously if we had our opportunity to take everything back and 
bring Dwayne back it and we would have done that in an instant but unfortunately that's not the case so we'll continue striving forward to make a difference but yeah it's a very special time in the year for everyone at living and the wider family and the community that's involved it's a very heartfelt week but also a week of immense change in the mental health space especially in australia with the work that we've been able to achieve and we're very grateful for that with all the support from around communities in australia individuals very generous donations to allow living to do the work that it's doing and continue to do the work that it's doing so super important and we'll continue to fly the flag in Dwayne's honor and his legacy that being said we're going to welcome onto the podcast our next guest cooper chapman founder of the good human factory and he's a good human that is for sure so i want to bring him on we talk about his early life his connection with mental health his early days as a professional surfer growing up as a young grommet so to speak or a young guy surfed professionally as a young kid traveled the world met an amazing bunch of people along the way but had an instant connection i guess with mental health and his transition into starting the good human factory which is an amazing concept which is absolutely making a difference in and around australia the community schools in particular cooper's got some great plans in place and some really cool insight tips and strategies i guess that he'd be able to teach you along the way and he's got an awesome community that have flocked to his brand so to speak which you guys can easily get involved and he also shares his wisdoms around things you can do for free that will instantly make a difference in your life so tune in take a seat take a run take a walk whatever you're up to right now it's going to be a great episode so you don't want to miss this one before i introduce cooper please like please rate the podcast please leave us a review because every interaction with this podcast helps make a difference and it gets our podcast up on the ranks which basically means it's visible to other people so hopefully we can infect other people with a positive infection so that they can influence their own life or someone in their life that they care deeply for but without further ado let's welcome onto the podcast cooper chapman very pumped to be here nice to catch up and connect with someone who has been on my radar for many years and yeah honored to be on your podcast and have a chat and share my story a little a little about me, I grew up on Sydney's Northern Beaches, a beautiful little town called North Narrabeen. Very loving mom and dad, older sister, two younger sisters. And I mean, I wouldn't say privileged upbringing, but we didn't go without. Mom and dad always worked hard to just get by. But yeah, a very loving family, all my sisters and me got along very well, spent a lot of time together as kids growing up, always into our sport, doing nippers and the girls used to dance and I'd play rugby union and yeah, just a nice, happy family kind of growing up on Sydney's Northern beaches, nothing too out of the ordinary. I feel very grateful that my parents were still together. I think that's something that's been quite instrumental in my life, just the importance of family. I feel very lucky to still have my parents together. I'll still be close with all of my sisters. Mum and dad are still living in the same family home that my oldest sister was brought into the house 32 years ago. I think they've been there. So yeah, it's nice to have that solid security and family structure, I think, from the get-go. And then, yeah, I guess a bit about my story. From about the age of nine, I picked up a surfboard and fell in love with the ocean and fell in love with 
surfing really i did play quite a lot of rugby union competitively at like kind of rep and state level and enjoyed it but then the kids started getting pretty big and my surfing started to take off quite a bit from a pretty young age from like 11 i think i got sponsored by rip curl yeah from there didn't really look back spent 15 years traveling the world as a professional surfer got to represent the country and throughout high school four times and go to world games and wear the green and gold which was pretty special when you're in sort of high school while all your mates are just doing as you kind of teenage things as we do grow up whereas I got to fly around the world to like Ecuador Panama Peru and represent Australia from a pretty young age sort of 14 to 17 which yeah it was really special I think it allowed me to have something to aim for from a pretty young age that sort of surf career and then yeah finishing school was kind of not set like I was definitely set on surfing I was getting paid good money to surf already when I was finishing school and was kind of destined to chase the surf tour for a while so spent after school into my mid-20s traveling the world as a pro surfer and yeah now I'm doing some work in the mental health space which I never expected to be doing throughout my teen years and throughout my surf years but it's where I found myself and I feel like I'm exactly where I'm meant to be right now and really living to my purpose and giving back in a way that I didn't really get to as an athlete and yeah, excited for what the future brings. Mate, I absolutely love it. And I love your upbringing. Northern beaches, what a spot by the way. Whereabouts mate? And I was born in Sydney before I moved to the Gold Coast. My family lived in Manly. Yep. So I'm um, North Narrabeen, right in between Palm Beach and Manly, bang in the middle. Yeah, nice. Yeah, great spot. Great spot. So you grew up there from an early age, did nippers, mate, I did too, so I can I appreciate that, absolutely. Talk to me about this surf thing, man. So when you said you travelled the world, you hit a lot of countries, it was during school, 14, 17, so basically you probably wouldn't have spent much time in school. Would that be the right thing? You were just surfing all the time or was it kind of a mix of both? My parents definitely cared about school and so did I. I quite enjoyed school and I think it was because I had the luxury of spending two to three weeks each term traveling, doing surf events around mainly the country. But then it started becoming international at times throughout that junior career. I actually found an old passport. And I think from the age of only in a five-year passport, from the age of 14 to 19, and I think I had nine trips to Indonesia stamped in the passport. So I was spending quite a lot of time traveling at the time. I was sponsored by Hurley when I was 15, I think in year 10 at high school, and they started sending me on trips around the world. And It was just a great way to experience that there's so much more out there and that there's a whole different way of living and that our normal in Australia is actually so abnormal compared to so much of the world and we think it's so important what we're doing at home, which it is, but once you start to see that there's so much more out there, I think that's something that's really shaped me to be who I am, understanding that there's so much more out there and getting to travel to plenty of third world countries, plenty of countries in Europe, South America, America, Africa, Asia, like I've been lucky to see many of the corners of the globe. And yeah, I think it's really shaped who I am, just understanding how different we all are and having a bit more empathy and perspective on the world. Yeah, and and that holistic approach, I guess, to understanding different people's cultures and where they come from, what things they're grateful for. Speaking of your shirt, man, speaking of your hoodie there, which is important, man. It gives you a bit more of a round on life. And as you mentioned, a bit more self-awareness about the things you've got and the things you're appreciative of having and your upbringing i reckon going all those third world countries like you leave there feeling so grateful like we already have more than we need kind of thing you know that's really interesting and so when you were surfing what do you call that though as a young 
person in school? Is that like a junior world tour? What are you on the junior circuit? Like, what is that? Like, I know what the World Surf League is, but what's the junior one? Yeah, so there's a few stages. So this is going to get a little bit technical, but I'll try my best. So Okay, fire away. So we fire have away, like man. junior Australian titles and stuff. We have like under 14s, under 16s, under 18s. And then in the they have the World Junior titles, but it's under a different organization than the World Surf League. It's called the ISA Games which funnily enough is actually how the Olympics is kind of qualification is tied in. The ISA organization really pushed hard for the Olympics and they got the Olympics in. So they have these junior world titles, which for a long time they were really big, especially back when I was competing. They've kind of taken a bit of a back burner behind the WSL now, but they were like the penultimate. If you won a gold medal in the ISA, that was like you're the world junior champion in under 16s or 18s. All the countries around the world would come together, four Australians in the 16s, four in the 18s would be selected. So I won an Australian title when I was 14 in the under-16s division, which gives you automatic qualification into the team, one of the four spots. And the other three, you do a training camp with eight people and they pick the last three. So I won my first year and then I was actually lucky enough to the next three years qualify, all four years that I could qualify, I got to go, which it hasn't been done too many times. But so yeah, the first year I went to Panama which is really cool. I think the team, we won a gold medal as a team there, which was cool. I think I got 10th in the world or something. And then the second year was in New Zealand in the 16s. And then in the 18s, I went to Peru and to, oh, what was the last one? Panama was the last place. So that was kind of my junior. That was through high school. So that was like my taste of like, okay, I'm kind of destined for maybe being a pro surfer. I'm in the top four of my Australian division. I'm competing at this world level already. Gave me a taste that there was something coming. And then when you fit that tour sort of is done when you're 18 and then you kind of go into the world junior tour or the Australian junior tour, which is under the WSL. I did that tour for two or three years. I got second two years in a row, which was a bit heart wrenching. Two of my best mates, Wade Carmichael and Sully Bailey beat me, who I ended up traveling the world with on the next level tour once we got onto the adults tour. So I did a few years on that junior tour. I did pretty well, got fifth in the world juniors twice, which was cool. And then that sent me onto the world qualifying tour. So from about 19, I was on the like level below the top 32 in the world. Now they call it the Challenger Series. So it used to be called the Prime Series. So I competed on that for about eight years. And the goal with that is to get in the top 10 on the tour. There's about 100 of us. And I kind of ranked between like, I think my highest was 20th. So I was like right there one year. And then I kind of fluffed between sort of like 20 and 70 for about eight years. Never quite got to the level that we all dream of. But I look back now with nothing but gratitude i'm like i can either look back and be like oh i didn't get there and people say to me like oh must have been a bummer to never quite get there i was like i can choose that mindset or i can choose the mindset of wait i got there i traveled the world surfing for 10 years like i won like sure i might not have the trophies to show for it but i've got the experiences the relationships the memories i've got everything out of that surf career bar maybe a few extra trophies so i'm stoked i'm happy yeah mate that's a really nice rare mindset to have you know and i feel like as a young dude and having these dreams of you know surfing and that how did you have that mindset like because not everyone is born with that mindset either you know especially when you're on the cusp of you know like you mentioned you've surfed most of your life you've done the junior tour you come runner up a couple of times there and that would have been hard to swallow like you said to two of your best mates that you've traveled with and then doing surf comps after that what was the and how did you, I guess, have that mindset to go, you know what, I'm grateful as to the things that I've already achieved. I don't actually need this other thing to fulfill me or to make me 
grateful or purpose-driven, you know what I mean? If I'm completely honest, it's a big hindsight thing. It's something about looking back. In the time, until the probably the last two years of my career, I didn't have that mindset at all. And it took me to get into that mindset to be like, it's a choice. The way that we view the world is our choice. And it was something that I did really struggle with. And this is where the good human factory kind of came from unintentionally was as a junior surfer, my whole self-worth and identity was Cooper the pro surfer. Everyone used to like pat me on the back at my local beach when I'm getting second in the junior tour and having all these successes. My mental health is riding this kind of roller coaster, but pretty high pretty often. And then when I'd lose, I'd kind of be like, oh, is there something wrong with him? He hasn't won. He hasn't done too well for a while. And I used to really ride this roller coaster of sort of well-being because my whole existence was based on my performance. And then when my results kind of started to decline, I wasn't, oh, wait, I'm not. maybe I won't get to this next tour. My mental health was kind of struggling. And I had this – it was funny. I remember this one time I was in America for a surf comp and I'd – at the US Open at Huntington Beach, and I just had a string of bad results. I was sitting at this sushi restaurant with my manager at the time. I'd had some family history of mental illness. I lost an uncle when I was in sort of my early years to suicide. I watched my dad not struggle, but go through some mental health issues himself from a bit of alcohol addiction to a bit of depression, anxiety throughout my teen years. So I was always had this underlying fear, I think, of maybe I'm going to go down this hereditary trap of mental illness. Maybe I'll run down this family line. And then when I was sitting at this Japanese restaurant in America, I was like, oh, maybe I'm depressed. Like maybe I'm running down this family history. And I think what happened was I had this underlying fear of asking for help because I felt guilty. I'm living this amazing life. I'm traveling the world surfing. I can't go and see a psychologist. Like they're going to tell me like, what are you tripping on? Like you got the best life ever. So because of that, I started to look for different modalities around mental health that could maybe help me. And I discovered like meditation and a few things and gratitude. And then something that really stood out to me was my sports psychologist. I was speaking to him just about performance and it kept coming back to this idea of my identity being so based around my career and my achievements. And he said something to me that was so important. And this is what my whole good human factory business is based on. Now he said, I want you to stop basing your self-worth and your identity on your career because you're going to come up short of your goals and dreams pretty often in life, unfortunately. And he said, I want you to start basing your self-worth and identity on how well you can live to your values. And he said, what are your values? And I was like, far out. I kind of said a few of these words and he was like, yeah, but how well are you actually living to them? And that was a bit of a slap in the face to be like, you know what, I need to start taking a bit of responsibility and understanding who I am beyond surfing, who I am beyond all of this. And that sent me on a bit of a path throughout my 20s to look for all these different things that are out there from mindfulness, kindness, gratitude, empathy, like all these values that I started to align with through reading self-development books, through working with my sports psych, and through just being super curious, like how do people who are happy live? And gratitude kept coming up. So then I lost my major sponsor. I was sponsored by Hurley for about seven years. And they said to me, basically, like I had my best year on the QS. I think I got 23rd. And they said, sorry, we don't think you're going to make it. We're going to take you off a $50,000 contract. We can pay you 5000 next year, but we don't think you should do the tour. And I was like, well, I just had my best year ever. And now my sponsor doesn't believe in me. I need to make up 50 grand a year. So I left Hurley and then ended up getting a job, like working at a surf school, working as a laborer, and then spent the last two or three years of my competitive career working full-time as a tradie to be able to afford to go to my events. And funnily enough, that was where this gratitude mindset came in. I remember I was in South Africa, a place called Bolido, 
for an event and I was walking down the beach and I just had this toxic mindset of like, oh, this guy from Brazil or this guy from America or this guy's ranked lower than me, but they're getting paid all this money to surf and I'm like digging holes like this is bullshit. And then I remembered something my dad said to me. He's like, appreciation, not expectation, Cooper. Appreciation, not expectation. Like no one deserves anything, like no expectation. Just be appreciative of the things that you do have. And I was sitting there on the beach about to paddle out for my heat and I was like, all my mates that I work with on the job site are still at home digging holes right now. And I've just done three weeks of work so I can do two weeks of competing and doing the thing I love around the world. Like look at it with that lens rather than, or oh, I wish I was getting paid like this guy who's ranked lower than me. And that was where the shift really started to realize that, wait, I can choose how I feel. I can choose how I view my situation. And then, yeah, that was kind of the mindset that I really started to adopt in my last two years of travel, even though I didn't have the income that I was and I wasn't getting paid to surf. I was like doing it all off my own bat. That was some of my favorite years because I really appreciated the experience. I really absorbed the cultures that I was in. I really soaked up how lucky I really was to be traveling the world surfing. All right. Okay. No, Sorry, that, that was a very long verse. <laughs> no, no, no. That, that's really good, man. I appreciate you sharing some of that insight and it's connecting the dots. You mentioned there something that I'm interested to explore a little bit further. You had a sports psych. Do you put that sports psych in combination with reading your self-help books, looking within as opposed to looking for stuff outside to fulfill that gap that you may have been feeling around that mental health and coming up short? as to where you should be as opposed to where you actually currently are? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Like the whole sports psychologist compared to psychologist, especially when it's like funded by Surfing Australia, when you're on scholarship, it's like you feel like he's obviously absolutely there. He's a great friend of mine now. He's been a guest of my podcast, Jason Patchell. But it was I would go to him for the more performance sort of stuff. And then he was just such a legend that he would underlie these things that help our performance, our values and stuff. But I never really kind of explained to him how I'd been feeling with my family history and stuff. That was just off my own bat. I was just like, you know what? No one's going to come save me. Even if I go and see the best psychologist in the world and they say, hey, I need you to practice meditation for 10 minutes a day, do this for 10 minutes a day. If you're not doing it, nothing's going to change. I knew it came back to me. I'm pretty grateful that I discovered that from a young age that, hey, you know what? Like we can either make excuses or we can make changes. And I began to make changes and read and try and immerse myself in as much knowledge as I could. And what I began to realize is there's so much great information out there. The amount of self-development books that just have the most expert advice from people who have studied topics for their whole life. And like, sure, certain things might not work for you, but I just became so curious, like, oh, maybe I can try that. Oh, I read that person's story with an open mind and they did this when they were struggling and, oh, that made them feel good. Maybe it'll work for me. Like, oh, a little bit of their story works. And just that, that curiosity and that openness to working with the sports site kind of just allowed me to realize oh wait they've got these little techniques and then you read books and you're like everyone's got these techniques you just got to find what works for you yeah okay yeah and i agree man i think so too i think it's about finding the right modality the right outlet the right strategies and tools that work for you individually i don't think what works for you cooper will work for everyone you know what i mean the same as for me and i preach this almost every day I'm interested to know, though, like it sounds like to me, mate, and please correct me if I'm wrong, there was a level of fear when surfing in terms of speaking up about your true mental health. Would I be right saying that? And that led you on this self-exploration journey around reading books, listening to podcasts, finding out what other people were doing and why they were happy? Yeah, I think it just came back to this just 
intuition always of feeling like maybe I didn't fit into the whole surf world. It's a pretty dog-eat-dog world and there's quite a lot of ego and there's quite a lot of behind-the-scenes community stuff of trying to be cool and trying to fit in. And I feel like I tried to do that for quite a long time. I tried to be someone who I maybe I wasn't. And now that I'm like – and I probably at the time didn't even realise I was just trying to live up to what was around me in my environment and I thought that's what meant being cool, you know what I mean, like keeping up with everyone around me. And now that I've built what I've done now with the good human factor, I even look back and realise that for the first three years of doing it up until really the last six months now that there's some runs on the board, people looked at me and judged me for that. But once you start to realise like, well, anyone who's judging you, if they don't know you well enough and actually spend time with you, like they don't know who you are or what you're about. So yeah, I just feel like I kind of got to break free of that. And the yeah, just reading and sort of understanding that there's so many different things out there allowed me to start viewing the world in so many different ways and just this insulated sort of surf community that I'd known since I was 14 years old until I started to branch out of that industry. I'm like, oh, it's so insignificant and doesn't matter. And it made me so insecure about so much about myself for so long. And then it probably motivated you, man, but it sounds very inspired to find out what else was out there and what else that you weren't really doing because you're so wrapped up in this surf world from such a young age. You probably, and no discredit to you, I feel like this is something that we hear all the time. Like some people just don't realize what else is out there until something happens. And in the moment, it wouldn't have been easy for you, like you mentioned. You'd have been like, oh, this is fucking hard and I don't know how to navigate my way out of this. But now you look on a few years on, you look back and in hindsight, you're like, oh, that's why it happened. And look where I'm at now. You probably would never trade it for the world. Mm, absolutely. Like all the lessons you learn and the insecurities and the ego that came with being a young paid okay, like surfer. Like I look back and like, I'm such a different person that I was up until the age of 25, but I wouldn't change it for the world because like you said, it's shaped me for who I am. Like if I wasn't like I was back then, and don't get me wrong, I wouldn't say I was a bad human. I feel like everyone in the surf industry will say I've had that genuine heart from the get-go, but I think I just truly am not trying to be anyone other than myself now, which is really nice. Yeah, it's really good to hear that, mate, and it's so good hearing about, you know, and I haven't even explored with you, <laughs> and I'm, I can't wait to in a moment about what you're up to with the good human factory, man. I see on your stories all the time about this gratitude journal that you live by. I think you're up to, what, 600-plus days or something? Yeah, about to hit day 700. I can explain that. It's cool. Yeah, mate, I'd love to hear that because, I mean, it's a very simple, I guess, simple tool that you're posting, but you're doing it consecutively, but you're living by it and other people are picking it up of what you're putting down and they're doing it. So talk to me. Yeah, let's wrap it all back. Talk to me about the good human factory, the link between, all right, so I understand, I'm just trying to get very, like, see it in my mind's eye, right? So understanding the surfing history, a little bit of the family history around mental health, suicide with the uncle. You and I have got that in common. I lost my uncle too to suicide and my mum's mum, so my grandma too. That being said though, like where did the name Good Human Factory come from? Where did this passion project, I'm going to, as a double-edged sword here, and then where did the Good Human Factory go from a passion project? Oh, I fucking love this. This is great. I'm feeling purpose-driven and all of that great stuff that comes with the work that we do to like a full-blown Full-time job. Yeah, it's been quite the journey. All right, I'll give you the full story because it'll tick off a few of your questions. Get it all out there, man. Yeah, so I guess the story goes a bit like this. So I'd lost my sponsor. I'm kind of just grinding, doing whatever I can for work. And I'm working at Manly Surf School for Matt Granger. And 
doing a bit of advanced coaching and I was like, oh, can I make a bit more money? Would it be okay if I use your facilities and whatnot and do my own like weekend surf camp so I can charge a bit more and do a bit more of an intensive camp? So I'd run these two weekend surf camps where I took eight kids through like surfing, skating, nutrition, surfboard, mindset, and we did meditation as like a visualization skill. This comes full circle why I brought this up. And at the end of the camp, a lot of the kids' parents were saying like, oh, the best thing that they said they loved was a visualization. At the time, thought nothing of it. Fast forward about a month or two, and my younger sister, Sophia, was in year 12 at high school, last year of high school here in Australia. And she came home one day, and we sit around the dinner table for dinner every single night as a family, mum, dad, three sisters. And my younger sister, Sophia, was sitting around the table, and she said one of the boys in her year had taken his life. And I was just like, fuck, like, as we all do, like hearing about suicide just is so heavy. Hearing about young kids' suicide is heavy. Hearing about someone who's at a school in your local area, just like compounding on heaviness. And I'm just like, fuck, I'm traveling the world, living this amazing life. There's kids in my local area that are taking their life like this sucks. As we kind of all do, I maybe looked up a few of the stats after that night, hearing about it, when I chucked up an Instagram tile and life went on. Two weeks later, she came home. We're sitting around the dinner table, exact same situation. Three sisters, mum, dad. I think we're having chicken schnitty for dinner the second time. And Sophia, my younger sister, said another one of the boys in her years had taken his life. And that was at the time where I was just like, fuck, this sucks. Like, I'm living the most amazing life. I felt this guilt. Once again, the guilt that I probably felt about opening up about my mental health I felt this guilt that there's kids in my local area that are struggling so much that they're taking their own life and I'm living this amazing life like what am I doing to Botox Cosmetic out of botulinum toxin A FDA approved for over 20 years so talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you for full prescribing information including boxed warning visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300 remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name to see for yourself and learn more visit BotoxCosmetic.com that's BotoxCosmetic.com help and my dad saw me I guess pretty visibly like upset about it and he said why don't you try and go and talk to some kids at your old school at Narrabeen Sports High about what you do. I know that you've worked pretty hard on your mental health. I know that those kids at that surf camp all said that they really love the visualization and meditation. Like maybe you can go and tell kids at school about that. I was like, yeah, why not? I had a good friend, a teacher of mine, Ian Wood, Woody, my teacher when I was at school, like the seven years before. And he was like an entrepreneur, careers advisor, my sport and rec teacher. But then he'd worked his way up to the head of sport at Narrabeen Sports High. And I just gave him a call. We kept in contact over the years and said, mate, did you hear about the two suicides at Marta Maria, the school around the corner? Like, it's dreadful. And he's like, yeah, it's so sad. And I was like, hey, do you reckon I could maybe come and talk to the kids at Narrabeen Sports High? I've got maybe some lessons to share. I, knew, I never learned about gratitude, meditation, all these great things at school when I was there. And maybe the kids can learn something. Maybe one of the kids will leave with a positive mindset after what I talked to them. And he was like, yeah, absolutely. Let's go have a beer at the pub and have a chat. And caught up with him, had a beer. And he was like, fuck, you're such a good human, mate, for wanting to do this. And then he was like, I was like, fuck, what should I? Well, he's like, and then he actually sparked this idea of like, you do also know that public speaking, there's quite good money to be made. He was always quite entrepreneurial, this teacher. And he's like, you can help people. And there's like budgeted at quite a lot of schools. Like, 
come into our school. I went to Hawaii like a week later and designed my workshop. I look back, I found it the other day. It is so fucking bad, my first one. But yeah, I just went into my old school and I was like, sweet, pro surfer. I'm going to be messaging schools. They're going to be like, yep, no worries. Come on in, pay your fee, all good. And little did I know, it doesn't work like that. It takes years to build up credibility and turn something into anything, especially when it comes to speaking. So yeah, that was the inception back in 2019, first year. But at this time, I'm working full-time as a tradie and doing a bit of surf school work and then traveling to my surf comps and trying to like conceptualize what this good human factory thing was, which the name that he came up with, he's like, why don't you just call it the good human factory? They come to your workshop, the factory, and they leave feeling a bit better. They're a bit better humans. And it's all, and it all aligns with now the whole ethos of it is just connecting curious minds with simple mental health strategies. I don't want to be the expert, but I'll be the conduit between people learning and being inspired and that spark to find different things that might work for them. So yeah, that was 2019. I did probably two workshops that year, like at my old school and then at a local footy club because a friend was a coach and I just couldn't get my foot in the door. It was impossible. I was like, fuck, this sucks. And then tried to get some government funding and that was like a nightmare. I missed out on this grant, which was like, oh, I'm probably going to give up on that. To be honest, I've never had the idea of giving up because it's always never been about making a business out of it. It was just like, if I can help some people. And then 2020 came around and that was where the Good Human Factory really found what it really was. Like COVID hit. All my surf comps got cancelled. My accountant was like, because your surf comps are cancelled, you can get the seven fifty a week job keeper and maybe you can spend a bit of time building the good human factory. And I was like, Yeah, good idea. So I moved to Byron and that was where it went from like a few workshops to I did a couple courses on the science of well being and a few things and really started to reconstruct the workshop into something a bit better. And that's when I was like, Oh, I'll launch the podcast. Then I launched the merchandise just to like build out a brand where people can come and be like, oh, align with what the ethos is of the good human factor of just trying to be good humans, trying to live up to strong values and understand who we are and reflect and just always try and improve ourselves. So yeah, that was like 2020. It started to pick up some legs, but in a way that I built a really good foundation, I feel, of like a whole range of different things because the workshops, as you know, I'm sure with living. 2020, 21 was pretty hard because you couldn't go out to schools. Like it was tricky, but it allowed me to adapt and build other avenues of the business, which now are key parts of the business. The podcast has had like over half a million downloads. The merch has done a couple thousand units. So it's cool to like build other stuff out of it. And yeah, now like 2022 started to build a bit more, got into a few more schools, did like 10, 15,000 students in 2022. And then yeah, this year I've, spoken to over 10,000 students already this year. So it's been cool to just sort of snowball. And I looked at going the charity route for a while, but I just, I do everything myself. Like I pack every merch order, I record and edit every bit of my podcast. I develop the workshop. I do all the bookings. It's like a hundred percent of one man army right still because I just haven't learned how to grow a business yet, but that's on my goals for the rest of this year. But yeah, it's been a cool journey just knowing now I've impacted thousands of people from yeah the podcast conversations to thousands at the workshops and the merch also gets really good feedback i'm sure the same as your guys live in merch just starting conversations i think gone are the days where you go and buy a balenciaga shirt when you can go buy a shirt that goes towards kids mental health and you're creating conversations so just sort of picked up looking good and you're looking cool in the same time i try my best but yeah just been inspired by the work that you guys do and so many other people in the industry to just trying to uplift and inspire people to take control of their lives and live better lives but 
Yeah, I guess I'll quickly talk about the gratitude group thing that you see on my Instagram every day because this is a pretty funny one. So I was two years ago, almost exactly to the day, I was lying down doing a meditation and I was kind of lying there doing a 10-minute meditation as most of us do. I couldn't stop my brain and I was lying there going like, fuck, so important for me to do this 10 minutes every day. Like I'm the mental health guy, I'm doing workshops and I'm not really honestly doing 10 minutes of meditation a day, but I know how important it is for me. And then I was lying there and I was like, surely we can give 1% of our day to our mental health. Like it's the biggest killer of men aged 15 to 55 in the country. Surely we can all agree that 1% of our mental health should be the bare minimum. And I was in the meditation and I was like, I stopped the meditation. I was like, got my calculator out and I worked the math down to work out what 1% of a 24-hour day is. It's just over 14 minutes. So I was like, what can we do for 14 minutes a day that's for our mental health? And I was like, at the time, I'd just finished doing this men's wellness 10-week course and they were talking a lot about accountability and how having an accountability group gives you, I think the number, I'm going to butcher this, is like 800% more likely to maintain a habit if you have an accountability group around you. So I was like, all right, what can I do for 14 minutes? How can I build accountability group? I was like, all right, let's use, once again, this is kind of just going off script, but I was like, Gary V, someone I look up to from a marketing business growth point of view. And he's like, you got to build a community, offer everything for free. And then eventually you can market to them. Don't try and get anything at the start. And I was like, what can I do that adds value to my community that isn't just me doing a one-off workshop, that isn't someone just listening to my podcast? It's a community. So I was like, all right, I'll do an Instagram accountability group where every morning I'll send a 10-minute guided meditation and every night I'll put three things I'm grateful for on my Instagram story and I'll send it to this group chat. The first week I think I had like 50 members join up and then over the last two years there's now over a 1,000 members and there's like nine group chats with about 100 to 150 in each group. And yeah, I haven't missed a day for two years. I send a meditation in the morning. Everyone can click on the link. I send my three gratitudes at night. Everyone writes their three gratitudes in the group chat. They don't have to post on their story. And yeah, over the last two years, there's been over 400,000 gratitudes written in from a thousand plus complete strangers from all around the world. And yeah, it's been completely free the whole time. And yeah, it's continuing to grow. So if anyone's listening and wants to join, this is called the 1% Good Club. All you have to do is send at the Good Human Factory a DM on Instagram saying, I want to join the club. You get out into a group of complete strangers. And it's been so cool, man. Like the communities, they're all strangers. Nobody knows each other. They get randomly get added. And somebody will be like, oh, today a bit hard to find my gratitude. So I lost my dad to cancer, but still grateful to have time with my family and grateful for my dog. And then you'll have... 20 complete strangers from around the world going, I'm so sorry for your loss, like condolences, anything you can do. And then I've had all these people like build like sub friendships through these Instagram groups. And it's like so cool to know that I could foster that. And now it's like, they're all their own group chats. I could disappear and people still do it without me, but I do it for myself. It's that 1% a day that I need too. Mate, I freaking love that. It's cool, eh? That's amazing. I've got so much shit to unpack (laughs) Take a seat for a second. So, yeah, let's go. So, mate, talk to me about this then. So, my mind's going mad with these ideas. So, we'll talk about that offline. (laughs) But, man, as far as the meditations go, obviously, you got your own meditation, your line there, you paused it, figured out the 1%, all of that great stuff. Meditation obviously helps you. You do about 10 minutes, you said? Is that the one you send through to the group, 10 minutes? Every morning, I send a 10-minute YouTube link. If I'm being completely honest, and this is the groups might not like me for this, I actually don't do the YouTube ones. I should probably upgrade. I've been doing the same thing for two years now. Like I actually have a friend who has a meditation school and app called Manifesty, but it's a paid app. So I don't want to make it, I don't want to have any barrier to entry for anyone. So everyone can literally just click the YouTube link. And every day I just 
typing, there's millions of them every day. I just find a new one. I click share the link and I just send it in the thing and people can click it, try that meditation. And they're usually guided ones just because it's a bit easier for people to do. But I use like a different app. Yeah, I try and do 10 minutes of that and 10 minutes of breath work a day. But I just send the link every morning. So everyone has like an easy click that link. There's my meditation for the day. Yeah, cool. So it's meditations, different one every day online. Anyone can access them. They're free. Well, you just get the message to your group chat. You get the message pops up usually around 7 a.m., click on the link. You can do it if I'm a bit late some days because it's been a long two years of trying to stay consistent. You go back to the day before, click the day before, find one that you love. And it's just that little reminder of each day. Oh, I've got to do my meditation. Oh, yeah, that's my 10 minutes a day. Yeah, I like it, man. And talking about accountability groups, one thing I can tell you right now, I raised a quarter of a million US dollars here doing a big push-up challenge. Yeah, late last, the year before last, and then ran into last year. And we created a accountability groups on WhatsApp. We had 30 of them. We had people in seven different continents across the world. And people, mate, it was unbelievable. Literally unreal. Like seeing people on the app talking about their wins, their losses. And then they were checking in every day. So they were reading, I think it's Breath by Jar Nestor. Oh, isn't that an amazing book? Yeah. Oh, one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. James Nestor. So that was part of what they had to read. And then they sat in the app, they showed how they were going on their push-up journey. So the goal of it was to create 100 push-ups by the end of a three-month period. And they had to check in every day and then do all these little tasks, so breath work, meditation, and push-ups. And it was literally 20 minutes of the day. That's all they had to do. But then they checked in and meant what you said is spot on. People broke out, had their own friends, created networks within that. And then it goes bigger than that though, man. Like some of these people can become lifelong friends through shared lived experiences. And I don't think you realize the impact that, and I don't think we'll ever realize the impact. None of us sharedly like wouldn't understand the impact that those things have on people's lives long into the future. We talk about one-off programs and the science behind one-off programs. And I know this through the work that we've done with living over the last nine and a half years they say the one-off programs can be very helpful in the moment, right? You can inspire, you can empower, you can change, you can motivate someone to reach out and ask for help. We've saved many lives, as no doubt I'm sure you have along the way. But clinically, scientifically, there's not a lot of evidence to support one-off workshops probably like two weeks after they've happened for the majority of people. That's the science that's coming out. So we're always trying to look for things that are, I guess, a are more solidified. Maybe they're ongoing programs, the groups. These are all things that create long-lasting change, right? And you've come up with this club and you can remove yourself from the 1% club and you know that people will still do this. Outside of hearing the impacts that you've had from the group and from people in the group, and like you said, you don't know them. These are people from anywhere and everywhere. Has it helped you on your journey? Like, Do you feel good making others feel good? Oh, absolutely. That's like the most, and I'm sure you know with the work, like sometimes, and I needed to remind myself recently, I saw a psychologist for the first time recently, and I'd just been feeling a little bit flat with the work I'm doing, like, oh, I'm doing this stuff. So many people like appreciative of it, but I wasn't, I just felt a bit uneasy about it for some reason. And he said to me, you're obviously so grateful you practice it every day, but are you proud of what you do? And I was like, fuck, I haven't actually really sat down and taken a moment to be proud. So that was a big one for me to actually like reflect and be like, wow, it is pretty cool that I've fostered these communities and had this impact. But you're right. Like you just don't understand the impact it can have. And it's funny with the workshop thing, like what I'm learning at the moment is like, you're never going to change someone's life. But if you can be that spark, like sure in two weeks, they might not remember something, but there might be a day that they're lying there stressed out and they 
remember that one little breathing thing that you talked about, how if we breathe through our nose, it's better for our physiology than if we breathe through our mouth. Like it's those like little sparks, those little things that you can't even remember where you got them from that you can get from a workshop. But like the impact that you sometimes don't think, like I'll give you a great story from the 1% Club. This is like so special here in this one. So there's this one lady who's in one of the groups called Haley. She's been an amazing member for the last couple of years, does it every day. And she has a daughter called Summer. And every once a week, she'll write my gratitudes and then she'll write Summer's three gratitudes, her like 10-year-old daughter. And then she wrote in a few weeks ago, and this is like so special. She goes, today I'm grateful for. I went to my daughter Summer's parent-teacher meeting and Summer got praise from the school counsellor of how grateful she is and that she's been teaching all of the other kids at school about gratitude and I've been sending the kids that are struggling to Summer to help them be a bit happier because she always is so happy and uplifting with these little gratitude practices she's bringing to everyone at school. And then Haley, the mum, said, like, so I'm so grateful for the 1% Club has, like, created this in our family and we do this and now and now it's spreading to the summer school. And I was like, fuck, they're, like, the things that I'm proud of that my, like, just little idea that isn't even my thing anymore, it's everyone else's thing, has turned into these, like, little patterns. And the amount of people that write in, like, oh, I haven't done my written it in for the last week because now every dinner time we sit around as a family and do this. And it's like, I'm, like, so far from someone who's invented gratitude. I've stolen it from everyone else. But I like that I've created, like, a tangible way for everyone to get that repetitive, like, actual way to do it and do it in a community. Yeah, and I think, mate, that's exactly right. Like, most of the information that we put out in the world, and don't ever cut yourself short from this, man, is already out there. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel. What we are trying to do is put it in a way that is easily digestible for people within our ecosystem. And I guess from your lived experience and from the way you communicate the things that you've experienced and what you feel towards a certain brand or a message. And I feel like every single person's on their own journey. And to just make a very important note here, man, you mentioned earlier that you were thinking about going to a charity. I think the decision that you made is probably the best decision that you could have made. And you don't ever have to justify the fact that you're a one-man band and that you deserve to be paid and all that. This is an industry that is very taxing. I've been in there firsthand from both someone that struggled who still seeks psychological support from a psychologist and a psychiatrist. So I can speak from both lenses of the level right now. But you're doing great work. You're making a difference. So you should never have to feel bad about monetizing that work that you do. And for people who are listening that don't know, they think charities are this charitable work and that no one gets paid that works there. What I can tell you right now is most charities are getting paid. Okay, but there is no dividends that get reinvested into shareholders. That's the only difference with charities. If I'm being completely honest, I'd prefer people who work for organizations, whether business or not, that are making people's lives better. They've got to be rewarded. Exactly. Which if is, anyone's getting rewarded, they get rewarded. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's kind of how I'm starting to like look at it. It's like, it's funny. You, as soon as you go, oh, I run a mental health organization, everyone always assumes it's a charity. And it's starting to be like, no, I'm a social enterprise. I'm trying to make the world a better place. I could go and work for a bloody cigarette company and make really good money as a, you know what I mean, climb the corporate ladder or I can build something that's helping thousands of people every single day and be creative enough and entrepreneurial enough to make a good living and all my clients are happy, nobody's complaining, like, perfect. It's the best win-win of anything. Mate, it's no different, like, well, it is different because you're changing people's lives, but you look at any industry, tech, online influencing, social media, like everyone's trying to do their best. And unfortunately, we live in a world where things aren't free. 
you got to make money so that you can support being the best version of yourself so that you can support other people the best that you can do. You know what I mean? It's like self-care before anyone else's care. And that's not being selfish. That's because if you're pouring from like an empty cup, so to speak, you're not going to be your greatest to other people. And I often look back, I speak about this often, man, like, and hopefully we get a chance to chat on your podcast at some stage. But like, man, when my friend took his life the night of September 15, 2013, I listened as best as I could, you know, I'll be completely honest. I was at one of the worst years of my life. And I often looked back, you know, especially over probably the first three to five years. And I said, you know, had I have listened better, maybe if I was in a better frame of mind, I was mixed up in some wrong groups, wrong groups of people. I wasn't looking after my mental health. I was treating myself awful. And so I often like look back and go, if I was in a better frame of mind, had I have been more aligned with who I truly am, my values, I was practicing self-care, maybe I would have been in a better situation to offer some support that night. You know what I mean? So that's kind of what drove me on this self-exploration journey. So I can resonate on the journey that you're on and the work that you're doing. Have you got anything in mind for like kind of you're looking to do anything? And mate, it's not like you need to have anything else. Like are you looking to grow the apparel? Are you looking to start online workshops? Like what's your vibe right now? I mean, I'm always just trying to expand. I've got a few ideas at the moment. I feel like I've now built a pretty strong presence, I guess, in the industry people and a pretty credible presence as well. Like something that's been a massive help for me was – obviously the imposter syndrome that comes with not being a psychologist and talking about mental health, but the feedback I've taken from thousands of participants of my workshop has been like overwhelmingly positive, like might've had one or two bits of feedback that were like, Oh, it was a bit boring. It was too long. And so you're speaking to thousands of students it's always going to be hard to only have positive. So I've had really good positive feedback, but at the moment I'm just trying to learn the ways that I can have the most impact, but also financially take care of myself like it's been a grind to get to where i am like i haven't you know i mean got a dollar in savings like i've reinvested everything into getting it to where i am right now but i feel like now that it has built that base i'm ready just for some cool opportunities the podcast is growing i'm um, really excited about the podcast like having conversations like this and getting to give people a space to share their story i think we can learn so much from people's stories So just going to continue to try and grow the podcast. That's a big one. If anyone wants to check it out, it's called Good Humans with Cooper Chapman. I'll get you on shortly for an episode, which will be really fun. With the workshops, just I'm starting to get the point now where I've spoken to like 70 schools over the last two years. So I've built a good contact list. But as you'd know, with living, it's about like building those relationships. I've got a few other good friends that are getting into speaking that are incredible speakers. This guy, Brett Connellan, he got attacked by a shark and he's a really big keynote speaker now. And another friend of mine, Brad Drybra, and they're both getting some work, but it's quite slow and hard to get work when it comes to speaking. So I'm about to chat to them today actually about coming. I spoke to Brett about it the other day. He's keen and bringing them under the good human umbrella to be able to almost be like an agency to have a few other really good, young, inspiring speakers that are still mental health. Like Good Human Factory is mental health themed, but it's just about anything to do with being a good human. It doesn't always have to be about mental health. It can be about a nutrition person comes in and talks or someone comes and talks about the environment. These are all just things that the byproduct of being a good human is good mental health. So yeah, I'm looking at expanding in that avenue, bringing some more speakers on board, which will be, yeah, really exciting to be able to, because I know what my message is, might not connect with kids, but Brett's might connect with someone, Brad's might connect with someone. So I want to branch out in that avenue. 
the merch is something that I'm really passionate about, but I'm also have no idea how to do marketing. I've like never done any digital ads and don't understand how that whole world works. So like I just over ordered merch by like probably triple what I should have ordered and ended up like in not heaps of debt, like just cleared it. But now like I've got fucking 70 grand worth of merch sitting at my house. Like I pack everything from home that I need to try and sell got a few ideas but hopefully i can get that moving soon like got some really cool stuff for winter and whatnot but just need to i had a guy that was going to help me with all the marketing and he kind of disappeared on me right when i put like a thirty thousand dollar order in for merch so now i'm like stuck with all this stuff but i've got a few cool ideas tomorrow actually i've got a podcast coming out on my sister's podcast my sister has a massive one of the biggest podcasts in the country we're doing a thing where every twenty dollars spent using a code using their code darling shine on my merch i'll do a free workshop for a student and then they have a, a lot of my workshops come from there i went on their podcast before and they have like fifty thousand downloads an episode so a lot of the listeners are school teachers and then i got a lot of my work through that because i explained my workshop so hopefully with this new episode coming out now that it's even bigger their podcast that'll help getting my merch moving again and gives the people their audience an opportunity to support and then the teachers can reach out through a qr or through a link and request me to come and speak for free because I know some schools have budgets that don't allow outside speakers. So going to try and, yeah, give their community a chance to support that and get some of my merch out the door. So just always trying to be creative, man. I love being in a jam and trying to work out a solution when you run your own business. Like every day is, uh, you wake up with like, what am I going to have to deal with today? So it's been really fun. But just trying to be a bit more strategic now. I've kind of built this foundation. Um, yeah, going to try and be a bit more strategic and, really get the impact in some special areas over the next 12 months. Yeah, and I feel like that's part of the journey though, man. Like what, you've been going for three years? Yeah, about three years. Longer? About three years. years. Really, I call it like I opened bank accounts and registered a business name and trademarked everything in like May 2020, right when COVID hit. So it had been around conceptualized for a year, but I hadn't actually like created the business until 2020. So about three years. Yeah, that's good, man. And I feel like you kind of got to throw what you're passionate with out there and the things that you enjoy. See what sticks. And then kind of go, all right, yeah, yeah, see what sticks. Get feedback, right, that needs changing. That's what I need to work on. And then rolling out a bit of strategy to figure out exactly the direction where your best time is spent because time's something you can't get back. Exactly. And you got to weigh up your time, man. You want to be grinding 12, 15-hour days when you could be doing the same stuff over six to seven hours, you know what I mean? But, mate, you're on that path. You're doing all the – mate, it's amazing what you're doing. No doubt people listening, you've inspired other people to, you know, take a good look at where they are in their mental health journey, you know, altogether or their health journey altogether and, you know, find out how they can be a better human and how they can nurture that within their own ecosystem and maybe they reach out to you or be a part of your group or just do the three simple daily gratitudes and all those things. So, mate, love all the work that you're doing. You know, you should be grateful, man. And I think something that I struggled with, especially in the early days, is stopping. Taking a just halt to what you're doing and looking and looking from the outside in. Because you probably, you might get a lot of people going, you're doing great work, man. It's fucking amazing. Like you're changing lives and you're hearing it, you're seeing it in groups. But you don't really know that. And I feel like you need to take a step back sometimes and go, you know what, I actually really am doing really good work. And it's all right if I take a week off or... It's all right if I do this, you know? Like That was that proud thing that the psychologist told me. He's like, yeah, but you're proud. And I think that's really shifted a bit of vibration in me from like I practice gratitude every day, amazing to look for those things and it brings me up. 
but that proud is like a bit deeper of a feeling. I feel like it kind of goes from that sort of like head part of your body down to your heart and to your belly and really, yeah, I'm proud. But I, but as well, like proud, but I understand how much more work there is to be done. And I understand that it's just like literally the tip of the iceberg. There's years of amazing experiences and people to impact ahead. But yeah, it's about trying to find that balance. Like I just went to Europe for two weeks for the first kind of first real holiday I've ever had. I've always traveled the world, but always for a surf comp or for a wedding or for something. Whereas this trip was, I mean, to go on tour with my brother-in-law, Fisher, the DJ, which is fucking unbelievable. But I was on that trip and I felt found it hard to like let go. Like I haven't missed two podcast episodes a week for the past two years. And like I do all the editing and asset creation, everything myself. Had my first guest episode i still do my like i do like a 15 minute wednesday episode talking i read out some of the gratitudes from the gratitude club and talk about a topic and then on fridays i do a guest episode and i missed one week of the guest episode and i felt so guilty but then i was also like you know what fuck i need to do my stuff too so i appreciate you bringing that up it is important nah absolutely man and how can people follow you mate how can people reach out if they want to join your journey your mission reach out, support you. How can they do that? Yeah, I mean, best place is obviously social media, just at Cooper Chapman on Instagram if you want to find me, at The Good Human Factory if you want to find the business and learn a bit more about what we do. Join those 1% clubs if you want to take a bit of control and give 1% of your day to your mental health. And then the website's just thegoodhumanfactory.com. You can learn a bit more about the merch, the workshops and yeah, what the Good Human Factory is, it's pretty cool. I've got like a bunch of ambassadors now as well, like young Australian athletes, giving them a place to connect with, to yeah, show their support for what I'm doing, but also align with something that means something a bit more than just being athletes. Like we've got like Ryan Williams, like multiple X Games gold medalist, two Olympic divers, Sam Fricker and Britt O'Brien, Storm Sanders played in the Olympics in tennis with Ash Barty. World champ wakeboarders, world champ BMX and motocross guys, just like all my friends, basically, I've like made them ambassadors so I can go and hang out with them to call it work. But it's also a good way for them to share with their audience that there's a bit more than sport and they can really get around the good human factory and help spread the message with me. So yeah, it's cool to not just be a positive influence to other people around me, but being a positive influence to my peers is probably the most important thing. Yeah, I love it, mate. Well, mate, you should be proud of what you've been up to. And like you said, mate, plenty more work to go, but there really is no rush. Just do the best work that you can do and kind of just see where it flies from here, mate. Absolutely, mate. Well, thanks so much for having me on. It's been awesome getting to chat. I'm excited to get to know your story a bit better. I feel like you got the hour of learning a bit more about me. We'll have to link up over the next few weeks and have a chat about your story for mine. I'm looking forward to getting to know a bit more about your story and living and everything that you guys do as well. Mate, absolutely, and I appreciate your time. Thank you very much on behalf of myself, everyone at Living, and all of the audience. Thank you. Thank you for being on the podcast. He's legend. Thank you for listening in to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. Please subscribe to the show and help us climb the charts so that we can attract new listeners and change more lives. If you found something very useful in this episode, please share and spread the love to as many people as you can. Don't forget to leave a review or a comment so that we can grow this community together because a conversation can save a life. If you want to continue this chat, please join me on the podcast Facebook group at living.org. I can't wait to share the next episode with you. But in the meantime, we're going to the top. And remember, it ain't weak to speak. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. 
For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. <laughs> 